podcast you've been looking for all along. Step into the life of urban exploration with guests from around the world. Welcome to No Tracers. Welcome to the No Tracers podcast. My name is Kay. I'm your host here on this show all about urban exploration. You can probably hear some dogs barking outside. I apologize, but they're dogs. That's what they're going to do. They're going to bark. So this week on the podcast, I'm speaking with Holly Hunt Photography, also known as Abandoned Beauties by HHP on Instagram. If you want to check out her photos while you listen to the show, you can either go to her Instagram that is linked down in the description, her website, hollyhuntphotography.com, or you can go to the Just the Letter K YouTube channel and you can watch this episode with her photos along with the audio dialogue of the episode on the Just the Letter K YouTube channel. Definitely go check that out. If you're new to the podcast, please hit the subscribe button. And if you are a returning listener, please do me a favor and leave a rating and feedback on the show. It helps me know what you like about it. And it helps other people that are looking for podcasts to listen to know how good this show is. Thank you for doing that. If you do leave a rating and feedback, take a screenshot of it and send it to me at no.tracers on Instagram. And I will actually send you a signed photo print from an abandoned place that I've explored as a way of saying thank you. Thank you for supporting this podcast. So before we get into this episode with Holly, I just want to let you guys know about a few things. First of all, I am transcribing every episode of this show now. So if you are hard of hearing or know somebody hard of hearing that that can't necessarily listen to the show, but wants to enjoy the show as well, this whole episode and all the previous episodes are being uploaded to notracers.com slash blog. So if you want to read the transcript of the episodes, you can do that over there. You can also pick up a copy of my photography book, No Tracers, an Urban Explorer's Diary, at notracers.com. And lastly, I need to thank our partner, Liquid Death Mountain Water. If you've never heard of Liquid Death Water, well, don't worry. I've made an ad for you. Here it is in three, two, one. From the streams of the Austrian Alps comes a new kind of water. A water that is sure to raise you from your grave. If you're tired of buying cases of plastic water bottles that contain carcinogens and God knows what else, or if you're trying to lower your waste footprint, Liquid Death comes in beautifully rugged aluminum cans. Murder your thirst with a can of Liquid Death. Check the link in the description and use code just the letter K at checkout for 10% off your order. Liquid death, murder your thirst. So if you would like to support the podcast further, pick up a case or 50 cases of liquid death water, grab a koozie set, and use code just the letter K at checkout for 10% off your order. It helps the podcast. It helps me. And I truly appreciate it. And the water's great. I'm actually drinking some right now. I'm drinking the still water, which is in the white can. Um, also, if you live near 7-Eleven, you can pick up Liquid Death at 7-Eleven if you want to give it a try before committing to buying a whole case of it. All right. Without further ado, Holly, please introduce yourself and how long you've been exploring to the No Tracers audience. Oh my goodness. (laughs) So the easy part to this is my name is Holly. I am Abandoned Beauties by HHP on Instagram. My website is Holly Hunt Photography, and I've been exploring since 1995. 
I did not actually regularly start exploring. And what I mean by that is not consider it a every weekend or every other weekend or once a couple times a month <laughs> um, until 2017. So I could say I'm new to this in the regards to bringing my camera into abandonment and taking pictures, but I am far from new to exploring because I've been doing this since the mid nineties in my skater pants and my, my van sneakers and all that. So. Wow. That's amazing. So take me into your very first exploration. Where did you go? What, what do you remember from it and what made you like get hooked on doing this? So my first explore was pretty boring. I think everyone has these really awesome explorers that they say, oh, this was my first. It was, it was this big, huge hospital, and I had to climb through a window. My very first explore was really boring. It was just a small house located down the street from my college. I was in college. I was a freshman in college. I was with a bunch of friends. I was really bored. We were actually walking downtown to get um how do I say this? To get into a bar, hopefully, even though we weren't supposed to be getting into that bar. And we were denied entry into the bar. We turned around and on the way back, I saw a house with an open door. I said, hey, why don't we try it? We went inside. The house was empty except for the attic, which was filled floor to ceiling with newspapers. And that was it. That was in the entire house. And I sort of wondered why would someone leave all of these newspapers? Why did they collect newspapers? Mostly, how did all of these newspapers even get up there? If <laughs> Did the person carry them up over 40 years of collecting them? And that was what started it for me. I think it was just the questions and the history of the house that just really blossomed this passion of mine of exploring. Wow. That sounds like a place I would film a music video in. <laughs> it was empty, but the newspapers. Yeah, were newspapers cool. for the ceiling. That sounds pretty sick. <laughs> it was cool. Yeah. So, when did the photography come into play for you? When did you pick up your first camera? When did you start documenting this this whole journey you're on? I started documenting abandonment with my camera in about, I would say, 2015. And again, I didn't start going into abandonment a lot until 2017, what snowballed me into jumping into abandonment to the degree that I did in 2017 was actually the passing of my mother. I was wanting to just get away from having to deal with that, which sounds horrible, but it was just having to cope with her death and her sickness and having to take care of her for a really long time. Prior to her passing away, I had been exploring, but not often. And I think that when she passed, I just wanted to throw my head into something. And five days after she passed away, I started exploring again. I just wanted to do something and I just continually started doing it. And that was in 2017. So I had started taking pictures in 2015 of a couple places, but nothing crazy until about 2017. And then between 2017 and now, I explore at least monthly, and I know that doesn't seem like often to a lot of people, but I don't live near a lot of abandonment. So when I do explores, it has to be at least an overnight uh, trip, and sometimes it's a full weekend or a week. So 
it's a lot of moving parts for me to go exploring. So yeah, so 2015, 2016, and then regularly in 2017. And I did start doing self-portrait photography in 2019. So that's been about two years. Nice. Yeah, I was taking a look at some of your self-portraits. Like I love the vibrant hair. I think that it really stands out in these in these places and it just adds so much creativity to them. Uh, so yeah, it's super rad to see those. Um, so can we talk about like gear for a second? Um, I want to know like if you have any gear recommendations for people that are just getting into the hobby and this could be like the backpack you use, a pair of shoes, a flashlight, anything like that, that you think could help up and coming explorers. So my shoes, I have an explore wardrobe, which I don't know if a lot of people have that, but I have the same pants, the same shirt, the same shoes that I pretty much wear all the time. I was wearing camo pants for many years to explore. And then I started to realize that those camo pants really made me stand out as an explorer. And it was something I should not have been wearing. So I stopped wearing the camo pants and they got replaced with plain black pants. But my boots that I wear, and I wear boots that are winter boots, they're actually made for 30 below zero temperatures. I purchased them in 1994. They're still kicking, no pun intended. <laughs> and they're still, they still have life. And they have metal tips. And they're just amazing boots. So I don't have anything special. I couldn't even tell you what those boots, who made them or where they came from. But I definitely do have uh, the same boots that I wear. And I'll even wear them in the summertime. Sometimes people think I'm crazy because I'm wearing boots in the summer, but you never know what you're going to step on or in in exploring. So they've definitely worked for me and I stick with that. In regards to gear in my bag, I carry a really big bag because I typically take at least two lenses with me, sometimes one or two bodies with me camera bodies that sounded really bad didn't it? <laughs> she got bodies in her bag y'all <laughs> right what we see in abandonment um, <laughs> so one or two, it depends on where i'm going how long i may be in somewhere it's usually i take one camera body sometimes too i take always toilet paper yes always yes. <laughs> always I always take hand warmers I live in New York we go through these horrible winters we need them in the bag they're always come in handy again no pun intended and a plastic bag two plastic bags and typically because I carry a lot of wardrobe with me in order to sometimes put myself in self in my self portrait work I do strip my clothes off. So while I'm inside these places, I take off my clothes. I don't really want to put those clothes in a pile of raccoon poop or dust or asbestos or whatever. So I put them into the plastic bag. And that's why I carry a plastic bag. It also is a really good thing to have in case you don't want to put your camera bag down on the floor or down on a table, depending on what it's covered with. So that plastic bag, again, can be kind of a barrier between that surface and your bag. But I don't carry anything special. I know that seems so crazy to say, oh, toilet paper, plastic bag, and hand warmers, but they have pretty much saved my life. <laughs> so those are my three little tidbits of info for anyone exploring. Especially if you're in the Northeast, for sure. Out here in California, I don't think oh, I've yeah. ever used hand warmers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you need them 
for sure New York. It's you cannot photograph with gloves, obviously. Yeah. Everyone thinks you can. It's pretty impossible. So just to have those hand warmers in your pocket, sometimes even in your boots or in your mm-hmm. gloves, they are life-saving. Absolutely. And can you talk about the mentality of an urban explorer? Like for you, what makes you go back over and over again and keep exploring and keep doing these this crazy hobby that we that we love? Like what is it about it that draws you in? So initially it was just the feeling of adrenaline and just finding out the history of these places, which I still love the feeling of the adrenaline and knowing the history. But my story's changed a lot over time, especially in the past five or six years. It turns out that I have a really bad memory and it's based on a health issue that I have. And I realized that exploring triggers that memory for me and it allows me to come back to things that I've forgotten. So for example, I'll be walking around a house or hospital and I'll see it could be something as simple as just the window pane on a window or it can be a hair barrette that maybe is standing in a pile of rubble but I'll see something and it will trigger a memory for me and I'll take a picture in that area and sometimes people won't even see the item or the place or the area that may have triggered that memory in my photo but that will make me think of something and that will be why I take a picture. So now it's become more about me regressing back to my childhood and these things that I've forgotten. And almost every single photo I take tells a story about me or my life. Unlike a lot of people who just shoot abandonment to take pictures of decay. I love that. And that's where this started for me in 1995. But it transitioned over time into now taking pictures of things that allow me to go back and remember my life. Wow. That is so like, just it makes the hairs on my arms stand up like the goosebumps. Oh, it's incredible. You. You know, it's incredible. Like the thought that you put into these images, you know, and it just kind of makes me want to go more into like your self-portraiture and like ask you questions about that. Like, like where, where do you come up with these concepts? Like, like tears of a clown, you're, you're like in a ball in a closet in this room that is, it looks like a circus. Like, how do you come up with these things? It's, it's insane. It's insane. Yeah. So just talking about that one photo, uh, I, I think you're, we're probably speaking of the one where I'm, where my legs are sticking out of a closet in a room that looks like a circus. Now that mansion, that's actually a bedroom and a house has, is now renovated. And anyone in New York knows about it. That was a really popular area for New York explorers. When I saw that room, I thought about my mom and her house was very colorful. She had blue and green ceilings. She had red and pink walls. She had green kitchen cabinets. So when I saw that room, I thought of my mom. And the story behind that photo was the story of me seeing her at the end of life and being told, which I didn't know this until I had been around someone who was slowly passing away, that at the end of life, your feet actually will turn color uh, blue or they'll turn purplish and they'll get cold. And that was that was the purpose behind that photo was it was my feet or my legs sticking out and the only thing that was left 
because supposedly that is one of the last um, things that happens to a person's body before they pass away. So when I saw that room, I thought of her and it triggered that memory of being with her at the very end and seeing that change in her body. And that's why I wanted to sit in that room and just showcase my legs and my feet in it. Wow. Wow. I could, I mean, we could keep going. Just tell me about all the photos. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. They're so special, you know, like, like you were saying, most people just take photos of the decay, but you have stories like deep stories behind your photography. And I think that's absolutely magnificent. Um, Thank you. Do you have any urban exploration injury stories? So I bruise easily. So anytime I go exploring my legs, afterward look like a Dalmatian. So it doesn't really matter. I could walk through the easiest place through the a, a wide open door with no problems and walk out with Dalmatian legs. Um, so it, I, I just, my skin is very pale. I just bruise really easily. So that's pretty common injury for me is to always look like my legs have been beat. Um, but I don't really have anything really uh, in regard, I'm, I'm really, I, I think my experience of doing this for a really long time has really helped me not get hurt. I'm really aware of what floors feel like. And I think that any explorer, once you do this for a while, you start to know what floors feel like, what's, you know, if they're soft, if you, if they're going to give way. So you just get, you almost become more safe in, and you know your environment more the more you do this. So I think that that's really helped me not to get hurt. Of course, I've had some common scratches and things like that, but nothing major. I have seen people fall through a basement floor or a stairwell, a staircase going into a basement. I did see someone fall through a basement stairs, um, but that was that wasn't me. So I, I'm I should knock on wood. I'm I'm really lucky that way. So. Um, and then what's the longest amount of time you've spent in an abandoned place? Oh my gosh. Um, a whole entire day, I would say. I I don't know if this is common. I seem to think it's not very common with a lot of explorers. But for me, I start really, really, really early in the morning. I prefer to be inside a location before the sun even comes up. And to watch the place come alive as the light comes through it in the morning. And then usually I'm out by 10 a.m., the latest. So obviously the, that time becomes longer through the summer because the days get longer. And it's it's nicer to do it in the summer because you do have more time. But normally I'm in and out in a place in three, four hours, sometimes less than an hour. I think, you know, of course, depending on size. But I would say the longest I was ever in somewhere was a day. So a day, I think we went in at 6 a.m. and we didn't leave until 3, 4 o'clock. So I honestly, it's exhausting. I don't yeah. think people realize how tiring exploring is. <laughs> so, so, oh, it's only seven, eight hours. But that's no joke. You're on your feet. You're carrying your gear on your back. You're carrying tripod. You're climbing. You're, it's it's no joke. It's physical fitness <laughs> for seven, eight hours. So I'm good. I'm cooked. I'm ready for food. I want to leave, go to bed. Yeah, so... Definitely. Yeah, no, it it is exhausting, you know, and when you're doing like a road trip, like I remember going to Colorado, we were there for 
two days and we hit eight places in two days. And afterwards I was like, I'm literally going to pass out on the plane and not wake up. This, this oh, is yeah. it. <laughs> it's crazy. Oh yeah. I totally feel the same way. <laughs> totally. Can you tell me about your scariest exploration? And this could be a paranormal thing. If you are into that, this could be a run in with a homeless person, the police, anything like that. Um, I've had police encounters <laughs> before, but they weren't scary. In fact, they were more funny than anything. I've been in a hospital that had multiple collapses and you had to navigate around them. You had to walk across planks of wood over some of them. That was definitely up there with one of the scariest uh, looking places in regards to maybe hurting yourself. I would say dangerous more than scary. I don't enter buildings if I get an intuitive feeling about them as I near them. And that's happened a small handful of times. I could say three places maybe I've gone to. And as I've walked near them, I've just felt I can't go in here. It's just not a good idea. And I've always been really lucky to be very intuitive and that sort of has maybe saved me from things that could have been scary, but I'll never know. I would say that one of the scariest places I've ever been to, and it was only for maybe all of 15 minutes, which seems crazy. I went to Gary, Indiana, which everyone knows about yep. Gary, Indiana. <laughs> and I was with someone, but the person was way too frightened to go in anywhere. So I went into a couple locations by myself in Gary, Indiana. Wow. And being a woman in Gary, Indiana, <laughs> exploring alone. <laughs> um I lasted 15 minutes and I was out. So that to me was the scariest. I just, I don't know if it was where I was, the environment, being alone. I don't explore alone. So it was also probably the feeling of not feeling comfortable being by myself. So I just needed to go to Gary, Indiana. I was driving through. It was an exit off the highway. I had to stop. I wasn't prepared. I didn't have my awesome boots on and, and all my equipment. I just had to go. So maybe that was it too. I wasn't really ready. And yeah, so for me, that would probably be the scariest. I know that's boring, but I've had some ghost encounters, but nothing, that stuff doesn't, doesn't scare me. I think it's just, I've become conditioned to not being afraid of ghosts because I've done this for so long. Yeah. You're, so our guest last week was Detroit Unseen and he talks about Gary, Indiana, quite extensively oh there you go major (laughs) run-in with the police there and kind of went into detail about what happened there but yeah it's uh gary indiana it's it's one of those places (laughs) not for the faint of heart i don't i like to tell everyone asks me what is it like and i'm like well just if you watch walking dead (laughs) just watch that and then and then think people live there it's similar but it's not the same just go that's the best way to explain yep absolutely (laughs) all right so can you tell me about your favorite exploration overall oh goodness do people have favorites who do this hobby i that's tough i think every place has something special And for me, because I go into these places for a little bit different reason now than other people, it can be something that's really simple that makes it my favorite. 
because I'm not looking always at architecture, I'm not looking at decay always. I'm just looking at what I can create art with or in front of or next to. So I have two places. One was just a local farm and it was small and historical and loaded with stuff, loaded. The woman didn't throw anything away when I was inside. It had everything in there. So those explorers are always really special when things have been sitting for 50, 60 years and just left and not touched by vandals or not covered in graffiti. So I think just because it was so loaded with so many special things inside, it was one of my favorites places. And that would probably be up there. I think another one would just be this awesome, huge mansion that I got into. And I think that's on the opposite spectrum where it was just really glamorous and grand and elaborate I'm a big fan of Great Gatsby, and that's what it reminded me of. So I think I saw that mansion, and it just really made me love even more the grandeur of that time period and what they were and what they were about. And living in Long Island, not too far from where that was written, well, not written, but where that story was based around, it's just really part of my my growing up here. So I'm just really connected to that. So yeah, definitely tied between a really small historical farm and a mega mansion. That was super glamorous. So that's so rad. I, I have yet to get into a mansion. All the mansions out here in California have like ring doorbells, you know, so they're all monitored. Oh, goodness. Yeah. So it's like near to impossible to get into uh, the big mansions out here. Some people have done it, mind you, but I, uh, I don't wow. like messing with security cameras. <laughs> Oh, me neither. (laughs) Not a a good time. Not a good time. Um, Can you talk about social media and what's that done for you as like a creator, as an explorer? Have you been able to like connect with other explorers through social media? Just tell me a little bit more about that. I have definitely connected with other explorers in social media, just like any community, just like anywhere. Uh, It could be a job place, you know, workplace. It could be anything there's people you're going to connect with and there's people that you're not going to connect with. And it's, it's interesting going into the Instagram community as an urban explorer because they don't know anything about you at all. It's different than if you ran into someone at a bar or something where they can really start talking to you and seeing who you are as a person first before your artwork it's interesting to put you out your artwork first and then kind of try to understand people from that point on and to get to know them. And with the urban exploration community, I think a lot of people struggle because to make friends because a lot of us are very untrustworthy or we're very afraid of people who go into urban exploration not to photograph the history and the beauty, but to go in and vandalize and destroy. So you don't know who those who is who behind social media. You can't tell. So I think a lot of people are just really afraid. For me, my page, my Instagram page didn't grow quickly, but it grew fairly quick. And I think more because not of social media, but because of my, I exhibit my work I've had about 20 plus um, exhibitions of my work 
And everywhere that I exhibit, I'm always promoting my Instagram. And then when my book came out, now I promote that. And it always comes back to my Instagram page. I actually kind of stopped posting about a month ago because I wanted to focus more on the business side of my photography as opposed to the social media side. Unfortunately, Instagram has changed, in my opinion, a lot over the past couple of years. And now with how you can view things and see things, what comes up on your feed first, second, third, never comes up on your feed sometimes is a lot different than what it used to be. And I started to realize that monetary, nothing monetary comes through likes and comments on Instagram. What can come to me in a monetary way is obviously selling my artwork. So I started to refocus myself on my website and selling my art and exhibiting more. That's a smart way to go too, you know? And, and so let's, let's actually talk about the book a little bit, exploring home. Tell me, first of all, tell me about the awesome cover art on that. I think it's so sick. It's so freaking cool. (laughs) Thank you. So People say don't judge a book by its cover. I personally think that's BS. I judge everything um, by the cover. What do you mean? We all do it. <laughs> I think we all do it. So I didn't want to come out with what I think is an amazing book cover, but I ended up publishing my book through COVID, where you started your you know this podcast over the pandemic. I started my book. Just like a lot of people, I was sitting at home and not really quite knowing what to do. I had kind of started the stories. My book is 100 pictures that I've taken, 100 photographs that I've taken with 100 stories that are partnered with it about my life. So it's actually an autobiography as well. And I had started putting pictures out on Instagram and then captioning them with my stories. So I kind of had a head, head start on my book about a year prior to the pandemic because some of those stories had already resided on my Instagram feed. So I did pull a lot of them off. But the true core of the book and coming out with it started over the pandemic. And I was, just like everyone else, really sitting at home, not able to go out and meet anybody, never really knowing what it was like to publish a book. I think when we all come out with a book, (laughs) with our first book, we don't quite know how to do it. And I did it through self-publishing. So I went online. I started to try to figure out what it takes to publish. As my my dogs decide to fight. Get it. Did you hear that? My dogs are fighting. (laughs) I'm sorry about that. Um, (laughs) They're like, why is she talking not to me? She's talking. Okay. (laughs) And they're little dogs too. They just fight at each other. So I went online and I had to do all the research on my own because I was self-publishing. I went on Upwork, which I would highly suggest to anybody who's looking for an editor, a cover artist, a proofreader. And I more or less interviewed a bunch of cover artists the cover artist that I found was unemployed, partly because of the pandemic. And he was in California, <laughs> near LA, actually. And he did this for work, but was out of work, just like we all were. And he asked me what I wanted. I told him I wanted a cover of myself inside of a labyrinth, which actually is a photograph 
of me in a real labyrinth that exists at an abandoned psychiatric hospital grounds property. It was photographed by drone by a friend of mine. And I said, I want it to be surrounded by houses that I've taken pictures of with some smoke and roots and some weird things. And he kind of said, okay, no problem, which I thought was going to be a major problem. But he said, no problem, and went off and did it. And within 48 hours, he came back with a draft of it. And it was almost perfect, which I couldn't believe. It it was just really meant to be. He, I don't think I would have found him and he would have worked for me had it not been for the pandemic. So I know a lot of people saw the pandemic as a horrible thing. And it was truly, it truly, truly was. But for me, it gave me a time to sit home and to work with people I probably wouldn't have had the opportunity to work with, to write my book and to do lots of things that I always made the excuse that I didn't have time to do. So my book came out and I had a proofreader that I found. I found an editor online. All of it was done online. And um, I finished it in about five months. And I had the intention to do a book signing in the fall, which I had planned in the spring when this place knew I was going to publish a book through the year. But we didn't know that COVID was going to happen. (laughs) So the intention was to do a book signing in the fall, which got canceled. And I asked myself, should I still do this? Should I still give that as my deadline? And I thought, why not? And I still came out with the book anyway, even though I had no way to really sell it. I did really well with pre-sales, which was awesome because when you self-publish, it's tough to push a book on your own. (laughs) But I did really well with pre-sales. And now that things are coming back up with people not being so afraid to go out and guidelines and restrictions being loosened, my book is selling again, which is awesome. And I had a really, really great book review that was written about me recently that also helped push my book as well. So that's awesome. Yeah, I remember I so I also have a book that I made about urban exploring and my journey and my crazy stories. And it it took me about the same amount of time, like five months, five, six months. And it was definitely a bigger task than I had initially anticipated. (laughs) But yeah, it's a full time. Oh, yeah, (laughs) for sure. For sure. (laughs) Learning how to use like InDesign and like make your book and figure it out. Oh, my God. It was so time consuming. But like once you have that tangible book in your hands, like how does how amazing does that feel? Oh, my gosh. It, It when it showed up to my door, I actually, I, I ordered a hundred copies. I, I was, I felt, felt very confident about the book sales. I don't know why I felt that way over COVID, but I did. So I ordered a hundred copies and all of these boxes showed up to my door. And I, I didn't even think about how they, I would bring them into my house, but I, I, I opened up the first box and I have it on video and I was, I was crying because I opened the box. I saw the cover And I, of course, had seen the cover on the computer, but I hadn't actually seen it on the front of my book. And I cried. To me, it was just this amazing. It was such an accomplishment, I think, for anybody, regardless of being through a pandemic or not. But I really struggled through the pandemic. And for me, it was such an accomplishment to be able to do that. And the other thing that I didn't end up mentioning either is my mother, who has been such an influence, she was an artist as well. And again, I had mentioned how her passing really affected me with exploring more and really diving more into that hobby. 
she designed and created labyrinths. And that's the reason why I am in the middle of one on the cover of my book. Wow. That's actually, that pays homage to my mom. Your mom designed and what? Labyrinths? That's great. That's so <laughs> cool. What do you mean? <laughs> what? She, yeah, she does. She would design and create labyrinths. Wow. She would work with a team of people to have them put up wherever. They could be outside. They could be inside. She actually used to do them in her backyard and she would run workshops for people. A lot of them were lit up, which was really neat. I, w- I always wondered if you could see them. I was, I was prayed that you know, Google would be flying over my mom's home when she was doing a light up labyrinth. <laughs> of course, it never happens, but I always prayed that that would happen, that it could somehow be seen from space one day. Um, but yeah, a lot of them were lit up in the, at night. Wow. So you could walk them at night and stuff. And yeah, in fact, her, she didn't want a grave site. So my mom wanted a water feature. So my mom's memorial is a, a fountain, a water fountain, and her water fountain is located in the center of a labyrinth in New York. Wow. So that, again, is me paying homage, which unless I tell people this, they don't know. They're like, oh, it's a labyrinth. It's cool. It's a cool cover. But I didn't put a dedication into my mom in my book. I didn't dedicate my book to anybody. That's how I did it instead. That's absolutely incredible. As we speak, uh, I'm ordering one of the books uh, because I need. I oh, need thank you, everyone listening. <laughs> pause you. this episode. Go order one of these books right now. Let's go. Howhurtphotography.com. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Wow. Okay. So let's continue. Do you have any bucket list items, like goal places that you've been dying to explore? I know you're in New York. There's a lot of amazing places out there. Is there anywhere else that you've you've been itching to explore that you haven't gone to yet? So I, I have probably a bucket list, not in every country, but I have one bucket list in a lot of countries. So my bucket list item for this, for, for the United States, for this country, I was able to just recently get into. So that was really awesome. But my, I think my, just like a lot of people, my main bucket list is Chernobyl. And I think a lot of people would not consider that urban exploring because you do have to get permission to go in and it's a whole tour thing or not even a tour, but and you can obviously walk around pretty freely, but you actually, you know, you have to get permission to go in there. So I, that would be it for me. It would be Chernobyl. I'm really infatuated with the whole story behind Chernobyl and how all that went down and how it still sits to this day. I have one or two friends that did not live too far from there when that happened. So they've told me stories and I just need to get there sometime. I hope to get there this year, but still kind of waiting on where the pandemic takes us. And I I will. I will get there. I know I'll get there. And I want to take at least probably a week or two to be there because I think it might be a one-shot deal. I also have a tendency, I know a lot of explorers don't do this. I have a tendency only go to places once. So I've only been back to two places my entire life in regards to exploring a property. I always think to myself, if I got in and got out and didn't get caught, then I'm not going to second chance it. <laughs> so I don't. Um, so I feel if I ever go to Chernobyl, it, it's kind, it's quite far and not cheap. So 
it would probably be a one-shot deal and I would probably stay there a long time, but I definitely need to get there. I'm right there with you. And speaking of, you know, only exploring once because you don't want a chance getting caught, do you have tips on not getting caught? Like how not to get caught? (laughs) (laughs) My tip for anyone who has a book is carry your book in your bag. Yeah. Because I've been caught and I am a little bit older, so that does help. I am female. That also helps. Mm -hmm. I hate to even say these things, but it definitely helps. (laughs) So when I do get caught, typically it's just a slap on the wrist and they tell me to go away and that's it. There's been a small handful of times that I've been yelled at and I've never, again, knock on wood, been arrested, gotten in a lot of a lot of trouble, but there's been a couple times that I've shown my website on my phone or I've shown my book in my bag and they see that I'm not there to destroy. I'm there to take pictures and to show the beauty of these places. And once they see that, they sometimes will just let me walk around and take photos. And other times I've been given tours, which is like (laughs) even more awesome. I think I just think that they don't want things stolen or ruined. And once they see that you're not there to do that, then uh, then they they kind of are okay with you. So, yeah, if you have a book or a website, definitely have that website ready to go on your phone to show carry your book in your bag. And my main thing to not get caught and not get in trouble is to go really, really early. As I said before, go in when it's dark and you know, bring a cup of coffee with you and a, and a and a egg sandwich or something, and sit in there have your breakfast. Watch the place come alive and the light come through, and and uh, get out of there before anyone really is paying attention. And I'll add in a little tidbit that I've learned over the years: explore early on a Sunday or on a holiday. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Those are the times that you should be exploring if you don't want to get caught, guys. <laughs> Yes, exactly. So this is a fun one for me. If you could live in one abandoned place you've explored for an entire week, which place would it be? I don't, I honestly don't even know if I would want to do that. (laughs) And I know that sounds crazy because I love exploring and I love abandonment. I'm not the person, again, who wants to spend a lot of days in a place. I... There, Of course, I've fallen in love again with parts of everywhere I've ever been in, and they all are special to me in their own way. Even the places that are completely destroyed, I there's something about everywhere that you go into. And I think until you do this hobby that that doesn't make sense <laughs> to people. A lot I've I've explored with people who think they're going to really love exploring and they say, oh, well, that was just a lot of rubble. And they just don't, they don't get it. To me, I don't, I don't see that. So I could, I don't think I could pick uh, a place I would want to stay in for a week, but definitely between the farmhouse and, and the mansion, as I'd mentioned before, between my favorite explorers, it would definitely, would definitely between, be, be between those two. I, I didn't feel any type of supernatural activity in either one of those either. So that would make me feel a little bit better, but yeah, I don't I don't I don't even know if I would want to do that. I just I like to see it, take my pictures and go and leave my footprint. Love that. I love it. 
And my last question for you is, what is something you know now that you wish you knew when you started exploring? Oh, goodness. Um, Lighten the load of your bag. (laughs) 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 Because as you age, your back will pay the price Mm -hmm. for the weight on it. (laughs) So I, when I first started really getting into this and doing it all the time and having to walk. I think everyone, and there are some places you can just park your car right next to it and go right in the door. But most of the time, that's not the case. Most of the time you're parking far away and you're walking up a hill and a, and a mile or, or more. And sometimes these places are really hard to get to, very treacherous. And when you have a lot of weight on your back and you have a tripod and a hundred other things. And with me, of course, I carry a little bit more because I have wardrobe and shoes and all of whatever I need to put in my self-portraits. It becomes a lot, especially if you're going to be out there, like you had mentioned, for two days. You know, at the end of those two days, you're going to feel it. (laughs) You're going to feel it. So buy yourself a lightweight tripod, you know, invest in things that are maybe a little bit lighter weight, a lighter bag, Uh, lighten your load. You know, if you don't need that lens, don't carry it because trust me when I say at the end of that day, you don't want to have your back hurting or, or your knees hurting or whatever. So that's something I've learned over time, definitely, because, yeah, I wish I knew that. I wish I knew that because now I'm realizing that it's probably caught up to me. And now that weight definitely is affecting me more. Oh, yeah. I totally agree. Uh, Definitely. I'm working on lightening my load uh, as well. (laughs) That sounds so weird. (laughs) But I'm I'm definitely learning how to... Uh, take fewer things with me. I'll say it that way. <laughs> There's a lot of innuendos yes. in this, isn't yes. there? <laughs> yes, there are. <laughs> awesome. Well, hey, if people want to keep following your journey, drop your social media, drop your website, and anything else you want to say uh, right here at the end of the show. So just keep exploring. If you are new to it, just it doesn't matter. Don't let people tell you what is abandoned, what's not abandoned. If you get permission in somewhere you do, that's in my opinion, that still counts. Just keep exploring, keep getting out there and and finding the beauty in these places that are left because it's pretty much guaranteed that a lot of them won't be there anymore. And your photo may be the last one that exists of that place. So it's important that we get in there and take those pictures But yeah, my website is hollyhuntphotography.com and my Instagram is abandoned underscore beauties underscore by, which is B-Y underscore H-H-P. And if you do follow me on my Instagram page, it is private. I will accept your request and then you can also see my website on there too. All right, that was my episode with Holly Hunt Photography, otherwise known as Abandoned Beauties by HHP on Instagram. You can check out her work at hollyhuntphotography.com. You can also pick up her book that I actually bought during this episode, honestly. I I picked up a copy of Exploring Home. It's uh, her autobiography, and it's got her photos in it, and I love supporting fellow creators, so if you guys want to pick up a copy of that as well, I've put a link to it down in the description. I can't wait to get my copy. I'm sure it's going to be absolutely mind-blowing to get it in my hands and, and check out that artwork. 
If you're new to the podcast, please hit the subscribe button. If you liked this episode or any of the episodes of the show, please do me a favor and leave a rating and feedback. It helps the podcast grow. It helps us find other listeners just like you. And lastly, I just want to say thanks, honestly. Thank you guys for, one, listening to the podcast. Thank you to all the guests that have come on the podcast. I hope to keep doing this for the rest of forever. I absolutely love this podcast. Thanks, guys. I'll talk to you next week with another one. Stay strong. Keep enduring. Go out. Go explore something. And remember, leave no trace.